Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview, an exciting, exciting interview. We are speaking to a Tokyo gold medalist today, Lucy Steffen, uh, an Australian rower who was part of the women's four that won the gold medal several weeks back in Tokyo. And this is such a fun chat with Lucy going over everything from that moment crossing the line in Tokyo becoming an Olympic gold medalist learning a little bit more about uh, the small town she's from a town called Neil in Victoria a lot of uh, fun to learn from there and some history making things that she's created since uh, winning Olympic gold there as well and everything else in between learning a little bit of fun in regards to some rowing events in Australia her uh, her goals going forward after the Olympics her memories of Rio where she was in the women's eight and all the drama that was around the Australian women's eight even making it to those Olympics and also her love for a certain movie which uh, I'm not going to spoil right now but uh, she's been tested on this in the past and gotten a hundred percent right and we might change that fact today there might be a bit of a upturn in terms of her knowledge on a movie from the past so a lot of fun here with Lucy Steffen Olympic gold medalist from rowing from Tokyo here is our chat with her Always excited to be able to talk about the sport of rowing and off the podium, particularly when we can talk to not only an Olympic medalist in the sport of rowing, but an Olympic gold medalist. She was a member of the Women's Coxless Four that won that famous, famous race only several weeks ago in Tokyo and has also won plenty of other events, including two World Championship gold and World Championship silver. Just to add to the resume, it's a massive pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium, Lucy Stefan. First of all, Lucy, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be Does here. It- does it get old hearing those words, Olympic gold medalist, uh, you know? <laughs> Not really. I think I hadn't actually heard it for a while and I was like, oh, I get to talk about rowing again, which was nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, it's it's obviously, it's always nice to hear those things for sure. It's always one of those things that I think it's kind of, as you walk into a room, I feel it should just always be announced, you know, Olympic gold medalist, Lucy, here she <laughs> is, you know, yes, I will have a drink, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't think I could deal with that. No, <laughs> I'd get all shy. None, none of the fanfare, no sort of trumpets going all the time. and uh. Oh, like it definitely, obviously it's like within reason, but um, <laughs> no, I think I get quite, um, I get a bit quiet and I get a bit embarrassed. Um, so it's, it's yeah. you're not wearing the medal out, basically you're saying and trying no, to, you know. No, no, I don't, um, no, it's not really one of those things. I more so like when I go to the schools and stuff, I more just put it on the kids and much rather do that than walk around with it on myself for sure. I, I'm, I'm still seeing, though, out there that there is so much possibility for what 
gold medalists can do, like with what they might be able to get. I mean, you know, I did see Kaylee McEwen when she got back, she got given a car. So, I mean, you know, mm. I don't know if you've gone down to your local car dealership with that gold around you and go, hey, <laughs> Kaylee got one. Why don't I get one? Yeah. Well, that's swimmers though. Like, yeah. obviously, they win at like, <laughs> I don't know how many when she wins seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, seven. Yeah. It was, yeah, no, it was yeah. seven. Yeah, Emma McKee won seven. Yeah, yeah for sure. So it's kind of so, like, oh, well, like, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Whereas rowing's a little bit harder, right? Like, come on, you know. Well, you don't really double up. Um, obviously, we had two in our crew that did double up, but that usually very rarely happens. Um, yeah, very rarely it happens. So You're not yeah, quite going to have the, the multiple, you know, no, seven medals coming from a rowing regatta, essentially. That's it. I think Max, maybe Max you could get is probably two and the Kiwis did it and that is incredibly hard to do. I think they kind of had a practice run at Rio. Um, learned some lessons there and have returned and, and got it right um, this Olympics. But yeah, I think for us, it's if it would have been interesting if the um, the racing hadn't have been moved. So originally the pair was meant to race the day before our final, um, but then we obviously getting up for an Olympic final and then having to go race the semi final two hours later is very 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 difficult. Um, and they did an amazing job, and I think it's just the lanes are a bit unfair and. Things just weren't in our favour that day for the pair race. So, but it is what it is. Like the reality of it, it's like still, we still got a gold medal as a four. And um, obviously, that's still an amazing achievement for sure. The thing I love hearing about that, though, is the fact that you think about that day, day five, you know, not obviously just your gold, but the, the men's gold and the two bronzes as well. And then kind of it's still a case mm. of that. Obviously, there was even more potentially to come from that, you know, sort of like, I mean, I love hearing that kind of even with the success that came from rowing that day that it was still a case of, oh, well, you know, this could have gone a certain way as well. Mm, for sure. I think and that's the thing with rowing. Obviously, we have so many outside factors that do um, inhibit us, I guess, to a, a factor of, and I think that's what you kind of saw. You see, we were lucky to a certain point that we were earlier in the morning and we still had pretty crappy conditions, but you look at the quads and the amount of, you know, people catching dirty strokes and, you know, how tight the racing was, it really puts into perspective of just anything can happen and never ever give up for sure. Was this a sport, Lucy, that sort of you grew up with, one that you sort of, you know, fell into kind of how did this journey begin for you to eventually leave Tokyo as an Olympic gold medalist? Yeah, so for me, um, rowing, I grew up in a small country town in Victoria called Neil. Um, and obviously growing up in the nineties, Australia was dealing with pretty bad drought. Um, so I couldn't actually row in Neil and I didn't start rowing until I was lucky enough to be sent to boarding school in for year 10, 11, 12 in Ballarat. And that's actually where I started rowing. But, um, ironically, that was when the lake was bone dry in Ballarat. Um, Lake Wendery, like kids used to walk home from school across the lake instead of around it. Yeah, it was very dry, um, obviously. And so I actually learned to row, would get on a bus once a week and travel to Geelong and row on the Barwon there out of the canoe club. So we're still really lucky in that fact that the school really tried to keep rowing alive and still all the schools kept um, giving that opportunity to, to the kids to row. And um, some went to like Essendon in Melbourne and then most of us were down on the Barwon in Geelong. Um, once a week so that's kind of where I learned and yeah definitely fell in love with the sport from there Um, and my mum saw that I didn't really know that you could row after school but my mum put my name down on this rowing Victoria website 
um, in a way to, I guess, if there was any opportunities for me to go on and do that. And um, I got contacted by the under-21 coach at the time, Peter Kupsis at Melbourne Uni University Boat Club. And, yeah, I guess went down there, obviously just reiterated how much I love the sport and just kind of kept chipping, chipping away and until I, um, I guess, made the senior A team for sure in 2013, I think that was. Wow, fantastic. I mean, were you very sporty as well? Were there other sort of sports that, that you did play kind of growing up? Yeah, like I always um, loved sport and I think there was always a desire to be really good at it. Um, obviously, as a kid, I wanted to play netball for Australia and this is when I was a young kid. Um, so in nil, uh, obviously, the sports can be quite limited just with the amount of people and the, the knowledge. So in the winter, um, if you're a boy, you play footy. If you're a girl, you played netball. Obviously, this is back in the 90s before... So like a bit more equality came in. So it was very strict. Boys play footy, girls play netball. And then you could also play hockey, um, but you couldn't do both. So it was either kind of one of those sports. And then uh, summer, it was pretty much either tennis, if you're a boy or a girl, cricket, if you're a boy, and then basketball, if you're a boy or a girl. So for me, my two sports were pretty much um, basketball and netball. Um, netball is definitely mad keen on. My mum was quite a good netballer and she was actually my netball coach. Um, but I was always kind of, I guess, center of the pack, runner up, best and fairest, those kind of like back end stuff. And then obviously moving to Ballarat, like a little fish in a, in a massive pond. And <laughs> I guess I just wasn't, there were times where I don't know if it's, I thought I was good enough, but there was a few, I guess, instances, instances that just made me really fall out of love with the sport, I think. And I think probably one of those was I found rowing, which was just this sport that it wasn't. Um, it wasn't so much skilled based or whether you have fast twitch fibers or anything like that. It was more if you pull hard, especially in Ballarat at the time, given we had no porter, it was very, <laughs> if you pull hard, you will go fast. And that's what rowing was for me. I guess it was an outlet. It was somewhere where I could just get in, um, pull on the handle, pull shaft, as we say. And then, yeah, and I really enjoyed that. And, and I guess it took away there. I always found netball for me personally was I always felt like a bit of an outsider um and I wasn't really accepted for whatever for whatever reason that was and then finding rowing it was all of a sudden this kind of place that really accepted me for who I am and I really just thrived and I found out so much about myself when I kind of hit that sport so um, I always say you know I didn't know that I was determined or passionate or this really fiery driven person until I started rowing and it kind of just unleashed all this, these personality traits that I guess were bobbling around there until I found that thing that that could that it could shine in. It, it, all those sports you were mentioning, I mean, it all seems very height-based, Lucy. I mean, is this kind of something that sort of, you know, it comes down to? Because we, we spoke to, to Luke Letcher recently and it was kind of it was about that height sort of aspect of, of the sport as well. I mean, is, is, is height and rowing a, a very common thing? If the taller you are, the, the, the better you are essentially or...? Yes, to a certain point, but I think rowing, I'm not, I'm tall for an average female, but I am not tall in the rowing world. I'm actually short and little, um, like to the point I have coaches call me, there was a coach who called me little one. Wow. Um, yeah, I think rowing, it's one of those sports where I never achieved it in netball. I'm not sure if you could do it, but in, I feel like with rowing, it doesn't so much matter your height or your strength. It's more what's going on between your ears. So there is a sense of, I guess, um, 
talent ID or talent um, that kind of looking for that. And obviously, Lukey's definitely got that. You know, he is phenomenally tall, um, pretty strong for his height, like all those things. But I guess what rowing does is also allow people like me who are on the shorter end, um, not necessarily like like I'm solid, but I'm not like really, really strong. Um, and I guess why I've got the way I have is like one of my quotes that I always turn to is the, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And I think, you know, if you look at the, like any rowing team, but I think especially in the Australian rowing team, because we have such diversity in terms of all where we've come from and um, kind of our um, backgrounds and where we've grown up, you see a lot of height difference and a lot of size difference in our crews. It's really interesting when you watch Europeans and I kind of only noticed it this year when at the World Cups and at Europeans, because you couldn't have your countries like the Kiwis and ourselves and the US and those kind of that usually have the, those European countries kind of came in, I guess, invaded, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> you have this level of all these people from different kind of walks and backgrounds. So you've kind of got people that have got a bit of Dutch in them. So they're really tall, blonde to do those things. So then you've got, I guess, like the Scottish and the art, like the bit shorter, bit more like solid. So I think what you find, especially in Australian rowing, is that we're all different shapes and sizes, but we all add to the boat in our own right. Um, so, yeah, it's for me, it is definitely a sport that people would say, oh, you'd make a great rower if you got really long arms and you're really tall. But I think what makes a good rower is what's going on between their ears. And you see that every day. You'll see someone who's really big and tall lose to a short person quite often because it's, I think it's also to do those kind of short people have had to work bloody hard to what they get to. So when it comes to those really hard races, they can go there because they've kind of had to go there their whole life. <laughs> um, it's like that, you know, it's like really tall people who have been really tall always growing up and they get to senior basketball and they don't know how to jump because they're always the tallest in their year level where yeah. you have these people like short people who can jump tremendously high because they've always had to jump. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's kind of rings true in rowing a little bit as well. Um, not to, yeah. And obviously that this is coming from me. This is coming from someone who I guess has had to like fall with her fingernails to kind of really get in there and prove that a short little, little guy can do it. But obviously God, I still want those big tall people in my crew because that's what makes us go fast at the end of the day. It's me and it's, and it's them together. And that's the best thing about rowing is that you, that you kind of need each other to make that boat, that boat go somewhere. With the sports, I mean, you mentioned sort of netball career, obviously netball's not an Olympic sport, but sort of was there any ambition like as a, as a child Olympics would be a great thing to go to did you grow up sort of watching the Olympics thinking this would be a great or was this something that sort of came to you once you got further in rowing that this would be a, a possibility to go to an Olympics yeah I think definitely it became a possibility after once I got into rowing I think a huge thing was um like netball obviously it was to play for Australia and I kind of wanted to do that as a kid and I think when you know you're around and and you have pretty much AFL and netball and hockey are your three main things. It's very much AFL, I want to play for a footy team and netball is what I want to play for Australia, I want to play for the state. So the Olympics, I think, isn't a massive, massive thing. It wasn't for me when I was growing up. Um, you know, even I started rowing 08, Beijing Olympics, obviously we did really, really well in. And then even 2012, it's like I kind of was like, yeah, I'd love to go to the Olympics one day. But I think I've always kind of, just taking the baby steps and I think that's why I've kind of 
slowly but surely chugged away and got to where I am. Like when I was 2012, it was just about making the under 23 Australian team. And then after that, 2013, then it became about Rio. But I guess it was that kind of that pipe dream to be the way that I've looked at it is I've always just wanted to be the best rower I can be. And that standard of the best rower I can be has obviously shifted from year to year. So, you know, not to say that in 2013, I wasn't training to win that gold medal, but it's about learning those things that now have got me to actually get that gold medal eight years later. You mentioned you're from Neil. Now I'm seeing here population of just under 2000. It looks like it's closer to Adelaide than actually Melbourne. And I'm seeing the notable people from Neil. You, you might be the only Olympian from Neil. Do you know if that's the case? Cause everyone I'm seeing here is a AFL player a, a, a cricketer player. Or, mm. or, a, or a politician. So are you the only Olympian from Neil? As far as I think I know, or that from what I've been told from, I guess, the historians of Neil and the people that have been there for a long time, I'm definitely the only Olympian, definitely from, I guess, modern, definitely modern Olympics. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool. And then someone actually said, obviously, because Ballarat kind of claims me as well, given that I went to school there. Um, but someone actually said I'm the first gold medalist from Ballarat at the Olympics. Wow. Okay. I don't know if that's true. This is this is like hearsay. Someone said that, and I was like, surely not. But we'll have yeah, a fact check a look into that. I think like that. Yeah, uh, it could be rowing. Could be the first Olympic rower. But yeah, I don't know. We um, had that. We had the fact checks going on because when Ariane Titmus won a couple of gold, even though Queensland tried to claim her, she's obviously a Tasmanian, and the fact check went there that <laughs> she was the first individual gold medalist from Tasmania. All our gold medalists had either yeah. come in, you know, rowing or you know, hockey or cycling. Yeah. So. Um, it was, it's kind of interesting when you've got like, like you'd know that obviously being from a small town and even Ballarat, you know, it's, it's, it's a small city that it's kind of that pride, isn't it? That those places have Mm. when you've got someone like you going out there and doing well on the world stage. And I think that's been like definitely a special thing for me. Um, and like, I obviously regional lockdown didn't happen. I had about a week before regional lockdown happened. So I got the chance to go back to New and kind of go to the schools and you'd walk in and straight away the kids are like, oh, my God, it's Lucy Stefan. And you're like, <laughs> wow, okay. Like this, you know, seven-year-old has, at, like he knows exactly who I am. Um, he knows what I look like. And I think that that was, it was really bizarre for me because I think I've just always kind of, a rowing is, you know, we've never had the massive crowds. And obviously that's what happens with the Olympics is, and people joke. It's like Australia loves rowing when it comes into the Olympics because we do have a tendency to do quite well. Um, and then the other rest, like the other, th- you know, three, four years, four years in this case, it's like they kind of have a bit of idea. You become a world champion. They're like, oh, we've become a world champion. But it's definitely not to the hype of obviously winning an Olympic gold medal. And I think, you know, it's very, very special to be able to go home and I guess see those kids. And like you said, like there's definitely people that have come from Neil who have done great things in terms of footy and stuff like that. But I think to have an Olympian as well, it kind of gives that extra like, oh, you can go do this too. Like growing up for me, it was you either wanted to, like I said, play footy for the AFL or you wanted to play netball for Australia, where now it's like, well, you can go to the Olympics too and you might you might not have even found that sport yet. Maybe that sport will come later in life, but it's just about finding what you love and going after it. And that's been a massive thing for me. I guess my message of, yeah, what I kind of wanted to spread, especially with these kids. Which not only does that make you then maybe the first and only Olympian from Neil, also maybe the first and only person from Neil to be on a stamp 
So that's uh, <laughs> also something you can put out there as well. I don't, I don't know if, you know, Jason McCartney was ever on a stamp, but, hey, if uh, he isn't, you then you, you've got that claim, right? <laughs> yeah, you never know. I'm just thinking well, the local post surprised. office there would be selling out pretty quickly on that day after you win the gold. Oh, like, yeah, give me, give me yeah. the, give me the stamp with Lucy on it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Dad bought 500, so <laughs> that made, I was like, what, I was like, Dad, what the hell are you going to do with 500 stamps? And he's like, well, they would never lose value, Lucy. And I was like, yeah, well, true. Yeah, but, but like, it's a valid point. But then I got home and they're just like sitting um, in my room, and I was like. You can at least use them. Like we just, just don't need five hundred dollars worth of stamps just sitting here not being used. Like, uh, so I don't know. When you pay your bills, put a Lucy stamp on there. Like, yeah. Anyway. Or when you get a bill and it's got a Lucy stamp, yeah, another exactly. bill. Oh wait, there's me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you will have them in. I guarantee you, in like 10, 20 years time, you'll be you'll be looking back at this moment in your life, and you'll be going through your merch and all that sort of stuff you got from the Olympics, yeah. and you'll be showing your kids, your grandkids, my look, look at this, mum, grandma was, was on a stamp. stamp. Yeah, <laughs> which nobody talks about. Yeah, Everyone talks about cool. the gold medal, but I, I, I like talking oh, about the fact that you get to be on a stamp. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, the stamp is really cool. I remember when Kimmy Brennan got her stamp, I was like, geez, that's cool. Like, yeah, yeah. But I think it's like with everything, isn't it? It's like you really, really want something and you go after it and you drive for it, you drive for it, and then you get it and you're like, oh, okay, cool. I've done that now. I guess like bit on to the next thing. You know, yep. it's like with anything, it's like, I really want this boot. I really want this t shirt. You buy it and you're like, oh, sweet. Okay next thing what's next yeah yep yep two stamps i don't know how many uh you know uh, i guess I, I mean i guess emma and kaylee probably got a few stamps after tokyo but uh, i mean thorpey's yeah. probably sick of being on a stamp he's like stop putting me on stamps <laughs> like come on i can't imagine if the u.s ever did it michael phelps jesus christ u.s post would be yeah. running out of stamp printing presses wouldn't they <laughs> yeah. it is pretty cool though i think it is like quite a little like aussie aussie trait that's like it's one of those little special things that we get as aussies and i yeah. think there's um there's a few of those things that it, it definitely makes you really proud to be Australian and, and proud to be a part of that for sure. Which when you're sort of progressing through the ranks then through your rowing career, you mentioned obviously, you know, you set your sights on Rio and we'll talk about sort of what happened in Rio in just a moment. But as you are progressing through that, you're, you're representing Australia out there. And as you said, sort of rowing is not really a sport that we do pay much attention to outside of that. What, what's it like then being on a world stage, wearing the Australian colours, going to these events and kind of progressing up the ranks and to realise that Olympics could be a possibility here? Yeah, I think... Um the cool thing about rowing is that you can potentially get to row with your heroes at a very, very young age. So, you know, I was, I was good as an underage, like under 21, I was, you know, under 23, I was a decent rower. I was kind of, you know, one of the better girls in Victoria. Um, I think if you had to ask most people, they would have said, if you were like, Oh, who's going to make it from that youth eight, you'd probably be quite a few that would say definitely not lose. <laughs> um that's all right that just adds fuel to the fire doesn't it exactly you've got um, something to show off for that but, now a few years later yeah. <laughs> but um being a part of melbourne uni obviously melbourne uni boat club and there's kind of two big main clubs um in victoria that you kind of have your elite rowers banks a little bit as well obviously rosie copper who was in the crew with she's from banks but your two main clubs are melbourne uni and mercantile or as i like to call them jerkantile <laughs> and as you can probably tell from that name, I think what makes Victoria so good at rowing is the fact that we have this like mad, mad rivalry until one year, one day a year where we actually get to row for Victoria at nationals. But, and I think that that's the cool thing about 
we have so many great rowers that have come from Victoria that you get to row with them, like I said, at a young age. So I think I was nine, it was 2011 nationals. And one of the girls in the Melbourne Uni Open 8 had, couldn't go to nationals. She'd be, um, I think she had to have an operation. It was really quite sad. Like, she was fine, but it was like three days before nationals. Like, oh no, just can't come to nationals. And I was kind of like the youth girl. And we had like quite a really, really strong senior group. And then there was a few under 23 girls that were already in that eight. And then I was the next girl in line. So what this kind of led to was, all right, Lucy, get to row in this open women's eight with all the Melbourne Uni girls. And we obviously had Phoebe Stanley, who um, went to 2012. We had Al Mack, who's two-time world champion, rode like competitively inter- internationally for, I think, 12 years, so three Olympic cycles. We had Kimmy Crow, um, now Brennan, who obviously speaks for herself, gold medal, silver medal and bronze mm-hmm. medal. And then you had some really, really great girls like Soph Robson, who's really good under 23, and McCarthy, really good under 23 athlete. But that was seniors. Like we just had this really, really strong crew. Um, there was a Yaz who was really good, strong lightweight who just turned heavyweight. So I'm rocking up to go for this training row. And I'm sitting there and Lizzie Patrick, who coxed the eight at London and Beijing, she's from Melbourne Uni as well. So she's kind of like getting me organized. She's like, right, Lucy, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like obviously shitting bricks. <laughs> then come up and the coach is there, Kupa, and he's like, all right, like everyone, this is loose. And then Kim looks at me and she's like, hi, I'm Kim. And I was just like, I know, I know who you are. Like, are you introducing me to you? Like, like this is huge. So, and then I got to be in this crew and it was always this thing of, so Melbourne Uni and Jerkentile can always, we could always back then seed a, we could seed a full club eight, which is huge. And then there would be kind of all the other people from all over the um, country at the time. Now it's a bit different because there's a bit more in New South Wales, but over all of the country at the time. And they were in what was called the all-star eight. So it was essentially like your best kind of girls around Australia that wanted to do the eight at nationals and they jumped in it. They called it the all-star eight. And a massive thing was always the club crews would sometimes more often than not actually end up beating the all-star crew because what it does is the same as rowing for your country, same as rowing for your state. It brings you all together and there's this sense of pride and specialness to the fact that you're all a part of something. So I jump in this Melbourne Uni 8 and I can remember the race plan. It was like Lizzie was like, you know, we're going to be, we're not going to win out of the start, 750-metre mark, as long as we're in contact, we can do this. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, we can do it. And I think this is also why some people have so much success when they're young because they just believe and they have no, they have no demons. They have nothing has ever gone wrong. So they're like, yeah, we can row through. Like, and at the time, same thing, I was young. I didn't know who was in this all-star eight. Like it was all these, looking back on it now, like it's all these massive like star people who I used to, you know, who ended up looking up to in two, three years time. And she's like, you know, we're, it's okay as long as we're still in contact. And then we ended up rowing through to win the race. And that was kind of my first real experience of, I guess, being a part of this like highbrow, really, really great crew. And that's a really cool thing about rowing is that I got to row with Olympic champions. I got to row with Olympians when I was 19. And I learned so much from that to then take through to when I, I guess, became one of those Olympians. Um, and that's a really sweet thing about rowing is in the sense that it, you can really hone into that and learn those things and have those opportunities. Um, 
Sorry, I think I got distracted. I don't even know if I answered your question. No, no, it's 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 it's. I, I love this is the, the beauty of this show too, Lucy. Tangents and going on different things. It's it's the nature of the beast. So by all means, yeah, you're, you're on topic still on this show. <laughs> still talking about rowing. Yes, um, we're not a Mean yeah, Girls yet. Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's really cool in that sense, and I think that's it that I've been able to, and like even now, it's like Kimmy obviously was an idol then and we've gone on to be in these crews together and usually Vic Cruz and obviously Vic Cruz and Melbourne Uni Cruz and there's been so much risk and she's, I guess, always backed me and to have someone like that when she backs you, that gives you that kind of fire to back yourself as well. You're like, oh, if Kim thinks I'm pretty good, then like I can do this because Kim believes in me and I think that that's a, that's a really, really special thing to be able to have in the sport that is rowing. Which it's, it's, it is that unique aspect of it, thinking about that way, just kind of almost being starstruck, but they're your teammates. It's like if, you know, you continue netball all of a sudden, like you're on you're on the team now, there's Liz Ellis, you know, just kind of, oh, hello, yeah. like, you know, kind of going yeah. that way, getting that call up. Like it's, it's sort of a unique thing, it sounds like rowing has that. Yeah, it's like you, you you wouldn't be playing on the same team as with the Vixens when you're, you know, yeah. doing underage stuff where it's quite possible, like you're still in the same you're literally in the same boat club. You're in the same training environment. You go to nationals, they're there. You go to states, they're there. There's, and I think obviously they brought in the national training centers in 2017, took that a little bit away in the fact that I don't actually get to go home to Melbourne Uni as much as I'd love to. But it's like whenever I'm in Melbourne, I'm there. I'm with those girls. I'm, you know, trying to chat to them. I want to row with them. Like, God, I hope we come out of lockdown because there's this massive race called Head of the Yarra, which is like, kind of renowned as like it's like really fun regatta you get in you row up to Hawthorne it's about an eight and a half k or nine k race and it's flat chat it's like you're pretty much going 2k pace and same thing that mercantile um Melbourne Uni rivalry comes back in and then you're you know you get up to the you have a few beers and then you all get back into the boat and you're a little bit pissed and you all row back (laughs) you know you row it goes quick because you're pissed you row back and it's just like one of those really fun things that you kind of like I remember one of my first cruises, it's like I'm in a boat with Kim with a green sack, like what's going on here kind of thing. And I think that that's like the cool thing. Like I came back in when we had, we had a really great um, crew in like 2016, I think it was, and we hadn't won it for seven or eight years. And this, I was like, this is our chance. Like we can finally win it. But it was like, no, we're going to make sure, like, yeah, we can win it. But, geez, we've got to make sure we have that green sack at the finish line that we can take back in our boat because otherwise, like, it's really hard to row when you're holding imagine. a cup where you've got a green sack, you can just, like, pass it down the boat. Um, I'm sure oh is going to get to a point where you're not going to be able to have yeah, drink and row. You're have to try and Big, big PD <laughs> might be sort in. of uh, on, the, on the Yarra there pulling you over at some point, you know. Check, check, but I, that, that's, I think, also the thing, like, the coxswain who's, like, the little 50-kilo coat who sits in the, like, steers it. Like there is always a time if it's like one of the really good Melbourne Uni crews, it's like I can't have too many drinks because if I crash this boat, like <laughs> they're worth like 80 grand. It's like I can't drink too much. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. But that's the thing. It's like rowing, there's like this vast kind of level that you get to do and that's yeah. what I love about it. And I think that's why, like honestly, this COVID lockdown has been really tricky because it's like I was so looking forward to going back and just hanging out at Melbourne Uni and kind of rowing in eights and fours obviously not always drinking, but like doing those training <laughs> rows with those girls and just really having fun with it. And I think that's been 
it's been a bit annoying, but hopefully head of the year is in November. So fingers crossed, we'll see what fingers happens. Fingers crossed, yeah. I was about to say, you about to say the secret for winning Olympic gold is just having a goon bag there in the boat going along, you know, Tokyo <laughs> and just, hey, that you've got our secret now. This is how we win gold. <laughs> I know, God, imagine. Sneaky little, sneaky oh, little. I, I love sort of when we talk about rowing, like, learning the, the differences between skull and sweeping and kind of all that sort of, mm. you, know, you know, involve that. And even then yourself, obviously, you, you know, featured in the eights, you're obviously at the eights in, in Rio and all that kind of stuff. Do, do you have a personal preference? Like are you a, a, an eights fan? Like you prefer to be in an eights if you could? Did you obviously winning a gold in the fours is a little bit better? I mean, and, and have you ever sort of done the skull and kind of tried that as well? Yeah. So I've kind of always been a sweeper. Uh, when I was in Ballarat, it's changed now, which I think is great, but it was strictly like Cox Falls and that's all you did, um, which is a beast of a boat to do, uh, obviously. It's, you've got like 55 kilos and there's only four of you to pull along where usually you have a Cox in the eight. Um, so I kind of started sweeping then and then you usually it's like, and I guess I kind of fell in love with the thing about sweeping is you always have to have someone else because obviously for me, I'm stroke side, so I row out to the right and I always have to have someone who rows out to the left. So I've always really loved having that person with me. Um, and so all through youth kind of stuck with that, jumped in the single a few times, never really loved it. I think also it's probably part of to do. They always say, it's like, you know how to skull, you can definitely usually kind of be able to jump in a sweet boat and you'll be okay where it's almost harder to go the other way, like sweeping into skull can be quite diff- difficult. So I was kind of strictly sweep for most of the time, would jump in it for maybe like a month or a couple of weeks every year. And then um, coming into Rio with our women's eight, well, pretty much sweep was just really struggling in that cycle. So we had some quite good performances early on in 2013 um, and then 2014 we didn't have a great year and from then it was kind of 2015 which was the eight I was in we're kind of rebuilding and we failed to qualify so we hadn't qualified the pair or the eight which was huge um, and huge in a way not good um, and so their way of trying to build up us sweepers to get better I was like right we're going to put you all in single skulls so I pretty much had to learn to single skull in about four months. Um, and you actually look at who ended up in the eight. A lot of the girls who ended up in the eight had done a season of sculling prior to that. So, you know, Al Hagen, for example, she used to sweep our uh, skull as a junior. Mole Goodman used to skull as a junior. Fee Albert was always a sculler up until that year. Um, Jess Morrison, she'd done a bit of both. Obviously, I ended up in the four with her this year. She's obviously a phenomenal athlete, but there was a lot of girls in there that most of them were kind of scholars who were sweepers, but then they, they knew how to row the single. And so I think it was myself and Shah Sullivan who were the only ones who actually had it internationally or at a, like a, as a elite level sculled. So at the time I hated it, but I actually quite grew to like it because there was a part of it is, like I said, I'd always had a person with me, but what the sculling did, it was I could no longer, it was me. If that boat wasn't going fast, it was me. So I really had to kind of learn those things and it made me a lot stronger and I ended up making the eight, which was great. Um, but then I think it is interesting, like after we went, we, you know, obviously we got the late call up to Rio, um, had all of that kind of stuff happen. And a lot of the girls decided 
to either take a year off or go back to sculling because obviously there was a few girls in there who were scholars. And I even got to the point where I was like looking around to show and I was like, there's no bowsider for me really to row the pair with at this stage. Like everyone and all the bowsiders that were rowing, they already had a pair partner. So I actually had the thought, I was like, well, do I go to sculling? Like I managed to get that single moving half decently last year. Like, do I just swap to sculling? I actually sat down with my coach at the time, Bill Tate, and he's like, Lou, she'll always be a sweeper. I think stick to sweeping. And obviously now looking back, I'm like, geez, thank God he said that. Because, you know, there was definitely, I think, and it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. I think naturally I would have come back to sweep because I do love it. But there definitely was that thought there for a little bit. Um, and, yeah, and it was, you know, obviously then the four – came back into the Olympic program for Tokyo. So originally there was just the pair and eight for women's sweep. But then when they decided that they wanted equality across the sports, which obviously awesome, they bought in the women's four. And it was funny when they bought in the women's four, everyone said to me, oh, Luce, this is perfect for you. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? Like I can kind of, you know, like, yeah, I enjoy the four, but I enjoy any good boat. And then I guess in hindsight, looking back on it, it's like, well, I had a lot of success in the four in my younger years. Like I was silver under 23 world champion in 2012, 2013, I was world champion and under 23s. Um, and then I got a bronze at world champ. So I guess I'd always had a lot of success in the four. And then that definitely didn't change by 2017. Like I'd end up in that four, we became world champions. And I guess for that, it's definitely made me. And then from going into the training centre environment up in Penrith where there is 25 of us girls, about 16, 18 of us as sweepers. We row a lot in different boats and I think it did become clear as the years went on that I am a four mover and that is a boat that I do do well in. Um, but then having said that, I think you have to be able to move the pair to get in to do well in trials. So I do enjoy a pair and I, and I love eight. I think in any situation, if you can get a good four, if you get a good eight, if you get a good pair, they're bloody awesome to row. Um, I think for me, it is like that four, it is very special, but geez as well. Like when you get in a good eight and everyone's switched on and you're all buying into it, like it's a lot of fun. Um, so I think there's, and yeah. And then the pair as well, it's, there's something so intimate about just two people. So I really don't have a favorite boat. Um, cause I think there's things that I love in every single boat, um, that make me just, I guess, love rowing. <laughs> great great answer. I like it. The, the one actually that I've got to ask you, cause you are actually our first sweep that we've had on the show, believe it or not. We've only ever mm. had skulls on. So this is you, the other perspective. I asked this to Luke, what, what's yeah. the harder between the two sweeping or, or sculling? Well, I would always say sculling because it's not what I do. Um, and like I said, I do believe that if you can scale very well, a prime example of this is I think it was head of the Charles, maybe 2015. So there always used to be an eight at head of the Charles, which is a kind of head, obviously it's a head race over in the US. Um, and the best eight around about the top eight scholars of the world would get together and do, they called it the great eight. And essentially they'll go to head of the Charles it was a bit of fun, bit of a piss trip, like afterwards, bit of a time to relax, but also still get to do what you do. And I guess socialising with the rest of the world and being in that environment. 
So this had happened, I don't know for how long, but there'd been a quite a few great eights every year changed a little bit. Um, and then 2015, I think it was Hamish Bond, who was obviously, he was in the um, Kiwi men's state this year. But he said, all right, let's make the great eight of sweepers. So we kind of got eight of the best sweepers from around the world. And the great eight of scholars beat the great eight of sweepers. So wow. I think it's one of those things in the fact of obviously the scholars, they would have said, right, straight up and down the slide, put your blade in the water, take it out, roll in rhythm, roll in time. Where I think when you go to sweepers, it's like, well, I want to road this way. I want to really come out around the pin. I want to, like, it would have been interesting to be, a, I guess, a fly in the world between the two crews. But I think it, it's kind of telling in the fact of if you can move it a single skull, you can move any boat. Um, and, that, you know, I've done it. I've, you know, I've been out in the single a couple of times, obviously up here in Nagas. I'm lucky enough to have that luxury that I can. And it is one of those boats where I do miss having my mate. Um, and I think that's what also makes it harder. It's a long time to sit out there with your own thoughts and to be able to say, and that's what they always like. They do say it's like, there's, you'll kind of see it in teams and people joke about it. There's a difference of personalities between the sweepers and the scholars. Um, and obviously the scholars, they, I think to a certain point, all rowers were much the beat of their own drums, but I think the scholars definitely take that to a next level in comparison to the sweepers where a bit. We're a bit of a, a sheep, like we like each other and we like to have like a bit of a pack that we can kind of all follow in and, and be a part of where the scholars are quite happy to go off and, and be their own pack and I guess lead the march to a certain point. Which I can imagine then too on that level, and I don't know if this is a possibility that we can get going because I think the physics of it probably don't work out too well, Lucy, that we're never going to see a single sweep, right? You're probably just going to be doing donuts in the, in the yeah, water. Yeah, no, so. you just be in circles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I'm, I mean, that's an event in itself. Like, that would be entertaining. Like, who can do the most circles in, like, a you know, <laughs> a two-kilometre the same time it would take you to do a 2K, you know, single skull? Like, work you around definitely that. definitely flip. You yeah. definitely flip. <laughs> <laughs> well, tricks add, add tricks to it. You know, it's like it's almost like the, uh, the 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 trick element. The You've got to make yeah. a routine. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, you always come kind of think for the kids. You know, Lucy, right? Like the mm. kids have got to get into it somehow with that. I mean, what was obviously with Rio, as you were saying? I mean, basically you're called mm. up because of the whole Russian mm. situation. Australia goes into that unexpectedly. Uh, what was that whole experience like going from missing out on qualifying, going to what you're saying back to sort of, you know, single skulls doing mm. this, that, there, and then all of a sudden, boom, phone call, guess what? You go on to Rio, uh, get the get the squad back together and uh, you're there in the Olympic Games. Yeah. Oh, like obviously it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, you know, not qualifying. Obviously you go into that, you know, it's called final qualification regatta, but also people call it regatta of death because it's, hmm. it's literally your last shot to – to get that chance. And it, it's, you know, they say it's like, it's one of the hardest races you'll ever do because it's, everyone is just clawing out their fingernails for it. Um, there's almost this extra sense of urgency and, and missing out by a second. That was really, that was really hard. Um, and so I actually came home straight away. That was kind of like the offer a couple of weeks before our coach was like, you know, obviously if we qualify, we'll stay overseas and we'll keep training. We'll go to Varese with the rest of the team, blah, blah, blah. If we don't, we can delay your flights and you can go travel if you want. And I was straight away, I was like, I don't even want to, he's like, I know you don't want to think about this. I was like, I don't want to think about it. I'm coming straight home. Like if we don't qualify, I'm coming home. And myself and one of the other girls, like there was a few girls that did that, but um, Fee Albert, who was the bow seat, and we'd kind of talked about it um, after we didn't qualify. She's like, Luce, I think I'm going to run a marathon. 
And I was like, great, I want to run a marathon too. That's always been on my bucket list. Let's train for it. Let's do that. Um, that'll give us something to do. Obviously, mental health was a huge thing. So we wanted those endorphins. Um, so we started training for a marathon for about two months. Um, and then obviously you start hearing whispers and there's things coming out that, okay, potentially the, the Russians, like the Russian rowers are going to be disqualified, like what's going on. So we kind of had to wait for the, I think the IOC had to make the first decision of are we going to eliminate all Russian competitors? And they turned around and said, well, no, we're going to eliminate all Russian competitors that are ever tested positive for drugs. And then the rest of the Russian athletes, it's up to the individual sport federation. So for us, that was FISA. So FISA turned around and said, right, we're essentially going to disqualify every Russian that's ever tested positive, obviously, and then every Russian who has never returned a negative test. So there was only, there was six men who'd been tested by WADA, which is like the World Anti-Doping Organization. So there were six blokes that had to seat race for a four. And then there was only two females that had to, that were left who had actually been tested by WADA. Wow. So that meant they didn't have a pair. So therefore the eight couldn't go. And that essentially meant, okay, right. There's going to be no Russians, but now are they going to give us the spot? So we're waiting around, waiting around to get this phone call of whether we're going to go to the Olympics or not. Anyways, we get on like a, at the time it was like teleconference. I think it was before Zoom existed, obviously <laughs> pre COVID times. So we're on this phone call waiting to hear, like been on there for a half an hour, not haven't heard anything back, call back in half an hour. So we call back. No, I still haven't heard anything. We'll message you when we hear something. Anyways, pretty much hang up the phone, get a message straight away. It's like loose call back. So get on the phone. And at the time, the um, CEO was like, right, girls, what I'm about to tell you doesn't go on social media yet. And I was like, right, okay, we're on here. Like, we're going to go. And he's like, pack your bags, you're going to Rio. Wow. And there was just like hysterical screaming, like one of like Fee, who was training with marathon, which was like hyperventilating to the point where like, Fee, mute your phone. Like, we need to hear the details of what's happening next. <laughs> um, and that was obviously this like amazing, amazing feeling because it was, you know, you dreamed of it, you thought it wasn't coming and then all of a sudden it's coming. So everyone's just like so excited. Um, by this stage as well, we'd kind of rekindled down in Melbourne. Um, so one of the girls, oh, she was actually a reserve and she was already overseas. So the other, there was like a squad of nine of us rekindled in Melbourne and we started training the eight. And we were all different levels. So you had like me and Fee who were training for a marathon and then you had people who literally done nothing. You had some of the girls that had done like an hour a day. So it was all different levels. So you kind of had this like mishmash of a crew. Um, and then we flew over. They were like, what do we do about jet lag? We're like, no, nah, we'll fly them we'll fly over the night of the opening ceremony. You will race three days later. Um, and that was that. So we got over there, had a couple of training rows. And literally we were just hoping for horrible, horrible weather. Because we were like, we get horrible weather. Like, we're going to smash up and down this slide and pull as hard as we can. So hopefully, like, if other crews do that, they'll probably try and row too well and then they'll catch a crab and then we could make the A final. So that was our strategy. So usually, obviously, it's like, control the controllables. You can only control how fast you go. We're, we're all like, no, 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 Like, please be horrible weather. Like, <laughs> this is our chance. Um, did our heat. Awesome. Became Olympians. Great. And then the next day, like after it, you kind of, you have that kind of, it's like, oh, it's done. That's it. 
after the heat. And I was, well, I was pretty sad when I woke up the next day. So I went for a walk around the village and I was kind of, you know, licking my wounds, trying to figure out why I was sad. I was like, you know, you've wanted this for your whole life and now you're here and you're sad. Like what the hell's going on? And obviously like had come to a little bit of conclusion of this isn't how I wanted to be there. Like I wanted to be the fittest I've ever been. I wanted to be the strongest I've ever been. I wanted to be in the fastest boat that I've ever been in before. And none of those things were happening. So I got to the end of the walk and my coach, who was our coach at the time, Mark Fagenhall, he like had coached me a lot coming up through the ranks, like um, in 12, 13, 14. Um, so it was like quite close to him, very much like a bit of a second father to me. And he's like, how are you going, Luce? And I was like, oh, I'm struggling. Like, I'm really sad. I don't really know why. And he's like, well, of course you are. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, of course you're sad. This isn't how you're meant to be at the games. He's like, this isn't it for you. Come, he's like, bottle up this feeling, take your learnings and come back for Tokyo. And, you know, don't come, don't come to Tokyo in the same situ- like situation essentially. And so that was for me very much like a, right, here we go. So I spent, I guess, the next couple of days, we raced the rubber charge. We missed out, probably had the best race that we'd ever had in that eight. Like I truly believe if we had a race, like, and it was just like nothing to lose, but just absolutely hooked it in. Because I feel like if we had done that at qualifications, it would have been a different outcome for us. Um, but that's learning, isn't it? And that's that's what we needed to do. We needed, For me, I had those learnings and I've learned that now because of that situation. Um, yeah, and I guess we missed out and it was shit and we were sad, but I guess I turned around and said, right, you're coming back for Tokyo. It was never a question of whether I was going to go around again. So I just sat there as like a little sponge and I just absorbed. And, you know, I saw world champions not make A finals. I saw, I absorbed what the village was like. I absorbed what the Olympics truly were at its core and how, I guess, hard it is to stay out of your head and, and watch other people and try to learn from other people's mistakes and also learn from other people's successes. And I think that for me, that's what Rio gave me. It was this almost, this no pressure Olympics, which I don't think anyone has really ever got to experience like what we did in our eight. And I think I, you know, I attribute a lot to, I guess, those mistakes and successes that I had last cycle into what I brought into this cycle with me and how I went about my training and went about the Olympics and, and learning what I did. So I'm very, very, very thankful for Rio. Absolutely. Cause I think it's definitely a, a credit to, to the rower and who I turned into as a, as a person and as an athlete. And I can also imagine too, that all those things that you would experience at your debut Olympics outside of what you were talking about, the holy crap, I'm an Olympian, there are the Olympic rings, I'm in the village, this is all that sort of, all yeah. those sort of shock and awe moments that when you get to Tokyo, you're like, okay, well, I'm an old hat at this now. I've experienced an Olympic Games. I can just focus A little on bit, the competition. Yeah, absolutely. Like I remember we got in really early in the morning. It was like I think 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning by the time that the flight got delayed and everything. We're driving into the village and there was all these, like we're all put onto these little 12, 24-seater buses. And I was sitting there and I kind of, was looking at the other people on the bus and I realised that I was pretty much sitting on a bus with most of them were making their Olympic debut as a lot of the people in our team were and just seeing their eyes and how they were acting to the village and seeing, you know, the buildings and the flags and the dining hall and just how big and what it's actually like. And I was kind of seeing their reaction and I was like, oh, yeah, I've already, like, I was like, oh, this is weird because I've already seen this, so I knew what to expect. And I think that's why I'm so forever thankful because I 
that's when I really truly saw the benefits of Rio and the fact that I didn't need that day to get my head around the village. It was like, well, I kind of knew that this was going to be like because I had the luxury of going to Tokyo. Yeah. And you also then add the added experience of, hey, you don't have to be confined to a room. You don't have to leave 48 hours later. You can yeah. have crowds, all those sort of things that I guess at the time, you, yeah, exactly. I mean, people were saying Rio Absolutely. was weird at the time, right? But now it's yeah. kind of like, look what Well, I think happened. that's it. Like one of my friends made a joke. He's like, oh, Luke, you've had one full Olympic experience. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you got the, the drinking and the piss up, which I didn't really enjoy in Rio because I was sad because I was like, well, this is a shitty way to be at the Olympics. But obviously I still got to go to those parties and experience some of those things. And the rowing wasn't there, but obviously Tokyo, I had the rowing, I had the result, but I didn't get those parties. But I was just like, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, it's one Olympics, but I was just so excited to be in Tokyo. It's, you know, obviously those things would have been nice, but I, I don't, I didn't really miss them because it wasn't in my, it wasn't in my future. I didn't think that it was going to happen because we know, we knew we'll talk so much of what COVID Olympics was kind of going to be like. Mm, I think if at the end of the day you could choose between having a good party and an Olympic gold medal around your neck. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, oh, obviously the party. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the goon bag and all that kind of stuff going yeah, on the boat, the right? Bag, like, you know. Going that. You, you obviously mentioned yeah. sort of after Rio, the switch to the four and really a dominant team then between Rio and Tokyo. Obviously, as you said, it's returning to the Olympics for the first time since 1992. So, I mean, what was that period like and kind of what was it about the four of you that kind of just gelled in a way that went on to the World Championships, couple of gold medals, silver medal, and then obviously going into what would eventually be a gold medal win in Tokyo? Yeah, so the squads actually, it's quite interesting. So they, they centralised the program. So up until 2017, it was kind of live where you want. A couple of months of the year, you'd go train at a location in Australia. But 2016 after the games they centralized it so all the girls had to move to Penrith all the guys had to move to Canberra and so like I said 2017 it was looking around who's there who's going to sweep and at the time I can remember I went up to the center in January and it was around February and I went into the head coach at the time that still is the head coach John Keogh um and I said what are we going to do? There's literally no sweepers. I was like, we've got three stroke siders, hardly any bow siders. Like what's going on? And he's like, I don't know, Luce. Like, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Like it should be fine. Like don't overthink it. Just trust me. Anyways, we got up to trials, did trials. And it became very, very obvious once we started doing the seat racing that there was four people that the boat just clicked. And I can remember sitting in it and I was like, the rhythms, they're so easy. This is it. Like, this is, this is special. Um, and so that so happened, like got off the water and it was, you know, it was pretty clear that that was going to be the four um, once we saw the results. And I think part of it, it was this weird year in the fact that it was kind of, we made the team and there was no one chomping at our heels. It was just us in Oz, Australia who were like the sweepers. So we just were very much independent. We did our own thing. We were coached by Tom Westgarth and we all got along and the rhythm was there. It was so, so simple. Um, we had our little things, like we had joke of the day and it was just this really good vibes. It wasn't really ever, we didn't really have any super massive arguments or anything like that. Uh, we're very similar, same page. You kind of had your chief, your Indians, and we all worked together really, really well. Um, and then obviously we went and won the world champs and all of a sudden everyone's like women's sweepers back <laughs> and all these sleepers. And then that year at the, um, National Training Centre, all of a sudden we've got eight extra sweepers. So we had 12 sweepers in the centre, which was like, wow. it was quite overwhelming because we'd just been so used to just doing our own thing. Um, 
so then we obviously and people we kind of knew from that four success that we we're going to look to have the four selected again went through went through trials and just because you win the world champs doesn't mean that you're pre-selected for that four so we had to do seat racing again and we ended up with a very similar crew except there was one seating change um, Rosie Popper came in for Cat Wary. And, yeah, we had a lot of success at the World Cups. And then about three weeks before the World Champs, Rosie got a rib stress fracture. And that kind of meant that she couldn't train anywhere near as much as what we wanted to on the water. So it was this decision of do we hope that Rosie's rib becomes healed enough to race at the World Champs or do we bring in Kat Wary, who was in it the year before, and Roz does her rehab and then potentially she jumps into the eight for the world champs. Um, so we decided to do that. Kat came in and we won silver. And that was, I think, a bit of a letdown for us. Like all, all of us were kind of going there, same thing again. We were undefeated that Olympic cycle. We were there to win gold. So we kind of rode that wave. Um, and then the following year, same thing, the eight, sorry, won bronze. So it had quite a successful sweep squad. Then we had a few more sweepers come in. And then by this time, our whole squad is so strong. We're all moving really well together. We're rowing pairs, fours, eights. We're all mixing it up. It's all like really great. And the massive thing was how do we qualify all sweet boats, which is a pair, four and eight. So they made the decision. We did trials. We all got our rankings. And then from that, they put together our crews. So um, there was the pair, which was Jess and Annabelle. They were the top ranked. Then there was myself and Sarah. We were second ranked. And then we had um, Kat and Ol, who were um, third ranked on bow side and fourth ranked on stroke side. And that became the four. And then the other girls went into the eight and Jess and Annabelle doubled up and we went and we won the world championships in that four. And we got silver in the eight and pair. So all of a sudden we're like, sweet. We are pretty much, we are the only nation to medal in all three sweet boats. And we're one of the only nations to qualify all three sweet boats. We're like, we're, pretty much best in the world and from there I guess it was this discussion of we don't really want to double up at the Olympics how do we go about this how do we see it our crews went to trials and we decided it was essentially 2020 trials we selected our crews with no double up so it was the pair just now were in the pair there was four of us selected into the four and then there was eight obviously in the eight we had two weeks training in those crews and then COVID hit um and so Obviously, they were like, right, the centre's closing. You all got to go home and train. So we all went home and trained for three months, came back to the centre. And kind of I guess what we saw was there was a bit of a vast difference. Kind of the bottom end that we'd had in 2019-2020 season had said, no, I'm not going to row. So that then produced a new bottom end. There was a bit of a difference in some of how people have trained over those three months and how they were getting their head around it. Obviously, there's a huge amount of stress in figuring out the Olympics have been postponed. Do I even want to do this? It's completely pushed back my year. So a lot of people are dealing with those things quite differently. And it was decided, it was kind of looking at, it was like, okay, well, actually, we're probably going to have to double up this year. And then it was, do we double up in the eight or do we double up in the four? And we got to trials. We kind of looked at it all. We all obviously got our rankings. And then it was kind of, I guess, to a certain point up to Jess and Annabelle and then myself and Roz who came out second ranked is do we go Jess and Annabelle in the four and then whenever they're in the pair we go in the pair or do we go with the third ranked and Jess and Annabelle double up into the eight and we kind of through a mixture of accommodations mixture of opinions it was decided that Jess and Annabelle 
would go in the four with them and they'd double up. And so, like I said, when they train the pair, we're the pair. We're pretty much there pushing them along. And it meant that the eight could just solely focus on the eight and they didn't have reserves coming in and out of the boat and messing up with them in that sense. So it was actually it was actually a really fresh crew this year. Um, I was the only one in the four who had been in it for the last three, four years. Um, Jess and Annabelle had never internationally competed in the four. So it was a really fresh crew, but I guess what I alluded to at the start, it's such a strong squad just because I hadn't raced internationally with these girls, I definitely rode with them and I definitely raced with them domestically. So while we hadn't had that international experience together in the four, there was such a sense of trust that when we got to Tokyo, it wasn't a question of what we were there to do. Which I can imagine too, camaraderie outside of the boat is just as important because you're not going to work well in that boat together unless you are getting along outside of that boat. Hugely, absolutely. And and what are some things that, outside of the, the obvious training side of things, I mean, is it just a case of going out in the goon, like having some good nights out? I mean, kind of, you know, hanging around watching Mean Girls. Like, I mean, kind of what are, what are some of the things that you'd be doing really to kind of, you know, help that build? Yeah, I think, like, there's a lot to it. I think just realistically just spending time together, like it wasn't even just our four, it was the whole squad. And I think when we train together, you know, we're doing three sessions a day pretty much six days a week. We're spending a lot of time together. Um, you know, you go out for coffee, you do the brunch. Like, yeah, sure, you might go out and have a couple of green sacks every every blue moon. Like, obviously, you're not going to do that too much. But I think that's what brings the team together. And you really saw it, and not even just with the girls, but you really saw it when COVID hit and we didn't have that international season. Like, obviously, the boys are in Canberra and we're in Penrith. We didn't have those international seasons where we got to go away and train together. And we hadn't seen each other for a very long time. And then when we finally kind of, I guess, got those opportunities to actually hang out and in the new year, once COVID was over, it was almost like, it was like, oh, boys cooties. Like it was just really, it was a really <laughs> weird vibe in the sense of the team was just so used to being on our own. Um, but obviously, you know, you have nationals, you have trials, you have a few events and you kind of bring back to this real closeness of the team. And I think that that was so special when we got to do the World Cup simulation regattas um and you know and I think you see that in just how close our team was with like the I guess the the golden hour the hour of power of what they called it it was um to be that and experience that together and to have that with those guys and I think that it's not just the girls but it's, it's the whole team that that brought that about and um yeah it's definitely and obviously it's just it's naturally gravitating to people as well and I think you know, there's always going to be people that you're naturally closer with, who you naturally click with better. But what training, what the training center does is, and I said at the start, it's like, you don't all have to be best friends. We don't all have to love each other. But what the center does is because you see each other training, you see each other going into those deep, dark spaces. We all respect one another. And at the end of the day, that's what makes us go fast. It's about having that respect for one another, for sure. In terms of just before we get to that, magical day five did you get to do the opening ceremony i mean i I know sort of there was a lot of restrictions around and obviously you didn't get to do it in in rio but given that sort of rowing was at the beginning of the the, did you at least get to experience an opening ceremony this time well usually the rowers never actually do the opening ceremony because we do race usually the next day um and it's kind of just this thing it's rowers don't do the opening ceremony and we didn't do it um this olympics either for that reason we're racing really soon and I think you, you want to be off your feet as much as you can. And 
it's a big night. It's a lot of walking. And, um, yeah, so no, it wasn't in the, wasn't in the opening ceremony, but obviously got to watch it on TV. So which is I what mean, it is. Armchair critic like me, kind of, you know, dream of an Olympics. Like I used to always kind of see where they get there. And it was always the swimmers, of course. Yeah. So they'd be like, oh, the swimmers don't compete because they're competing the next morning. I, I just always feel I'd like, fuck that. Like it's an opening ceremony of the Olympics. Like I'm not going to let that opportunity. Yeah, Does part of you nah. kind of want to rebel and do that? No, because you're so, you're there to race. Like obviously all those things are great and it's cool to be a part of it. But it's like you get to do, usually non-COVID times, it's like you get to go home, you get to um, do the the um, welcome home parades like I think the most telling thing is is obviously there's the Olympic rings which is like they're you know quite a big Olympic rings and everyone wants to get these photos in the Olympic rings it's kind of like your bucket list of the Olympic village you want to get this photo and I, the four of us were like we're kind of putting it off putting it off and we kept saying we're like oh gotta get our photo at the rings gotta get it and then we're going um obviously rowers we get up quite early to train we're like look we'll go in the morning because usually you have to line up we're like, we don't want to line up. We don't want to be our feet. Because we go in the morning and like the sun's behind us. We're all squinting. It's a shitty, shitty photo. <laughs> um, but we like, we're literally walking away. And I think I said, or if like, and someone like they all agreed, it was like, bugger it. We'll come back and we'll get one with our medals. And then we did. And now we've got like, like hundreds of photos of us with our medals in the rings. And I think that that's what you're there for. It's like, there's obviously there's a there's a, a range of why people go to the Olympics and obviously there's some countries that it's you have you know people like Eddie the Eel and like people like that that it's there to live and breathe the experience so yeah are you going to sit up and stand in a line to get your photo at the rings sure why not like if that's what you want to do if that's what you want your Olympic experience to be like but for us it's very much about being there we're there to win a medal and so if that meant that we don't get to walk in the opening ceremony yeah it's crap maybe because we're rowers. So we're used to not walking in the opening ceremony and like in the past as well, we've usually the reserve of the rowers have put on, like if you Google it on YouTube, they've put on like their own opening ceremony of them like <laughs> dancing around in like tights and stuff like that and doing their own thing. Um, you know, I think it was cool. Like there was part of the Aussie team. I didn't do it. Same thing because we were racing the next day, but there was a lot of the Aussie team that they put on their opening ceremony kit and then they paraded around the village. They actually did their own walk around the village um which i think is so cool like i looked at that and i was like oh i kind of wish i had done that but like i said we're racing the next day it's like i'm not gonna while it would have been a really really cool thing to experience it's like i'm here to do a job and that's what i gotta do you know i, I kind of now that you mention all that i actually have so much more respect for james Tompkins back in beijing when he was a flag bearer the fact that mm. uh you know he's kind of tapped on the shoulder, James, would you like this great honour? And obviously part of him probably going, well, I've got to compete, but, hey, I get to carry a flag for my country at the Olympics. So, I mean, kind of, wow, it's, mad respect for him so now. much. Yeah. Well, like, and, it, and it's, I guess it depends when he was racing. Maybe he wasn't racing the next day, but or maybe they were just going really, really fast and didn't really matter. But like Hamish Bond, for example, he was a Kiwi yeah. flag bearer and he said, no, nah, I don't want it because their race got moved to the next day. Obviously he would have done it when if they're, if their final, if their heat was meant to be on the Monday, but it got moved to the Sunday. So it was like, nah, I don't want it. I'm going to go borrow, like, same thing, I guess. So, yeah, I think it's just decisions and, and what you want to do and, and how you feel that you can react to being, as I always say, you've got to have the high highs, you're going to have the low lows. And opening ceremony is a massive high. So how are you going to tackle that low when it comes? You mentioned the hour of power. I mean, that day five, like, just – to me, probably it was the best day of the Olympics. I mean, I, I remember getting up that morning and just 
not being able to keep up. It was like, God, Australia, stop winning gold medals. Like, you know, it's kind of like, calm down, calm down. But we we talked to Luke about kind of his experiences that, and obviously he was sort of in the third boat and he mentioned, you know, you really get to sort of experience that. You were the first. You kind of were the one that set it off. I mean, before I sort of get to what came afterwards, I mean, the race, Lucy, crossing the line, you're, you're Olympic champions. I mean, is it something you can put into words what that feels like when that is happening? Not really. I think um, it's really interesting. Like uh, I've talked about Kim a little bit already, but when she won gold in Rio, she talked about people like, what's it feel like when you cross the finish line? And she talked about a lot that she'd visualised this race so much that it was very, is this reality? Is this actually happening? Or is this just another visualisation? And I guess when she used to say that, I was like, that's obscene, that you could actually not believe that something was real. And then when I crossed the line, it's exactly what happened. So I guess wow. for me, it was like, cool, I'm kind of cool. I'm like my idol. I yeah. didn't, but like, I'm like Kim. I visualize it so much like Kim. <laughs> Yay. But that's what it was like. I think you can see it. Like when I crossed the line, it's just this like face of surprise. And I was actually, you know, I'm kind of renowned for swearing. Um, <laughs> obviously, you probably heard a little bit in this podcast. I'm surprised I haven't said the F word I'm expecting yet. more, Lucy, to but- be honest. Come on. You're letting yourself down. <laughs> No, I'm trying to get better. Um, but I, and even my boyfriend said, he's like, I'm so surprised you didn't swear at the finish line, loose because I said, oh my God. And you can see myself, oh my God, saying it. And I just kept saying, Roz will be able to back me up on this. I think you can kind of see she's sitting there crying. And it's funny because you all react in such different ways. Um, obviously, Jess and Annabelle, they would have like breathed in as much as they could, but they knew they had that pair race. Roz is just like crying, like couldn't stop crying. And then I'm just sitting there being like, oh my God, it actually happened. And I'm like, Roz, it actually happened. And she's like, yeah it was just like one of those experiences of this overwhelming of how we all reacted and that was the massive thing for me I was just sitting there be like every 30 seconds I was like it happened it happened like I just had to keep saying it aloud to actually realize that it had happened and then the same thing when we're walking up onto the podium I kind of like looked up and I was like oh my god we're walking onto the Olympic podium and I was like is this a dream or is this real because this seems so far-fetched of the amount of people that have wanted this and visualized it to actually get to do it it's like I'm walking onto the podium on the middle of the podium like that it was very much like is this a dream like I had to do a bit of a reality check of no this is really real so yeah I guess it was you know we had our race plan we executed as best we could we we'd trained for it we'd worked hard there was like I've said before there was ultimate trust in that crew and a lot of people are saying, you know, when the Dutch were steamrolling us down, we look so calm and composed. And I think that that's what we'd been training for. It was like, we knew exactly what we we're doing. Like, yeah, sure. We were rowing absolutely our hearts out to stay in front of those Dutch, but it was, there was ultimate trust in it. And then to experience that with the girls, like obviously are forever grateful, but it's very much, you feel like you're in a different reality. You feel like it's, yeah. And I totally appreciate what Kim was saying now of, is it even real for sure? Because that's exactly how I felt. Is it something then that you can't wait to get back and watch the footage of it? Like, cause I mean, it's obviously being in the race is great, but I guess imagine watching it and hearing, you know, the commentators call it up there and all that sort of stuff, because I don't know, like, do you even want to watch it and relive it again? Yeah. Like it is funny. I think I didn't watch it straight away after I, um, I, I think Roz and Annabelle, Roz was downstairs and she's like, I just saw our race. It was so close. And I was like, no, it's camera angle. And I fully follow, firmly believe that when it zooms in on the bow balls, 
it's 100% the Kangaroo Angle because I reckon we were like, it looks like we're side by side, bow, 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 bow. But I'm like, nah, we were like half a canvas, canvas in front. <laughs> um, and then I like, I, I think that's the thing. Like I have watched it back. Like you'd be silly not to. And sometimes like, you know, obviously trying to do a little bit of exercise for mental health and stuff. So I sit on the bot bike and I love watching rowing and obviously love watching myself win just as much. So if I'm trying to kill, you know, 10 minutes on the watt bike, it's easy. It's an easy thing to chuck up and watch. And it's funny, obviously, in the commentary, I think um, I'm sure if, I'm sure who says it, but someone's like, oh, I'm, I'm glad it was an extra 100 metres because, you know, we would have had a yeah. real race on our, on our hands where I firmly believe that maybe 100, like maybe about 50 metres to go or 80 metres to go, it was pretty pretty tight. But I reckon then we moved away again. Um but my, whether that's true or whether that's just my sheer belief in, in, the, in the three other girls and who I'm in the boat with, it's yet to be confirmed. But, yeah, I, like it is definitely something, obviously, you love to watch back. And I, I've always um, – and it's just – it's, I guess it's a reminder of, of what you did and what you achieved. And I think I watched it back the other morning and I was like, oh, God. I was like, oh, I look really fit. And I was like, I look so strong. <laughs> I was like, Jason, you look good. Because you just, like, we haven't been able to do it. We haven't been able to go out in the floor. I haven't been able to, like, do that thing that I love, which is rowing crew boats. And so to watch it back, it is very, like, oh, I just want to have that feeling again. Yeah. Um, but let's be honest, if I jump back in a boat now, like, I, what, I haven't rowed now for about a month. It's like, well, I'm going to have to get my touch and feel back. Like, it's not going <laughs> to, I think that's a hard thing. It's like, I can, I can imagine what it would feel like, but whether my body would be able to do it right now, who knows? Which that whole the remainder of that day though i mean i think you were being interviewed weren't you when the men crossed the line from memory and kind of just was that you sort of was and they like just kind of watched him no I mean, it was it the um, chicks it was the chicks quad because i the men's floor was actually really funny because i think i must have been running off or getting like something must have been happening and i didn't realize that the men's floor had won and then they were doing a replay on the big like um like the big board screen yeah the big screen. That's exactly what it's called. The big screen. And I was like, Ross, oh my God, they won. And she's like, yeah, at least it was like two minutes ago. And I was like, oh, okay, that's awkward. Like, and then I actually looked on the rowing course and they're like spinning around, getting ready to come in. Um, we did get interviewed when the Chicks Quad was coming through though. And right. obviously the Chicks Quad, that was a, that was a Very sweet close. race. And the fact yeah. that it was, there was, you know, four, three or four boats gunning for those final medal placings. Yeah. And then one of the boats caught a crab and the Aussies came through. So it's like, that was pretty sweet to be part of. And I think that was the thing. It was, I always feel pretty lucky in the fact of being in the four. You usually are kind of early in the in the program, and so it is that I guess that thing. And and then because the racing got postponed, it meant that those two quads got to race just after we did, and it was really, really, really special to be a part of that. And I guess to start it off as well, it's it's a huge honour in that in that sense that you feel like. And I know um, Cam Gerlison talks about it a bit. He's like, you know, we saw the girls who were warming up. We saw the girls, um, quad, uh, the girls four go down and we're like, oh, yep, half a length up. We saw the boys go down. Oh, yep, they're a length up. So when it actually found out, yes or no, if we'd won, it was they knew that, that we were firing. And I think that's the thing I kind of talked about being a team when we all train together. It's like if you see – a, a boat that you usually train against and you compare yourself to doing well and you usually stack up to them pretty well you're like okay they're doing well we can do well too and I think that that's like the really cool thing about I guess definitely especially what we experienced with COVID this year we had to work together we had to train together and we had to use one another to push us and so 
then to have that day once again together, it's very, very special. And the thing too, that at that moment, it was, it was weird that it got broken, what, four days later, you had co-created Olympic history, part of it, because ultimately at that point, it was the equal most successful day Australia ever had in the Olympics, obviously with the two fours winning mm. the golden area and getting in the swimming, obviously beaten a few few more days later when we got four in one day. So, I mean, it's just, it was... yeah. Do you get sort of word back sort of like that Ariana won a goal that sort of the Australian Olympic team in general was sort of buzzing with a three no, gold as well? Or? We did. Like, obviously, we're pretty lucky over there. Like, we had our phones. And so I found out pretty quickly. You know, you just had to jump on Instagram or online and you, and you found out very quickly. Um, I think it really shone through doing like that interview after and when they're calling it like the hour of power and, you know, the, the medals that we won in that time. Um it was really, really special. I think you can't underestimate what it's like to be a part of that team. And, you know, we, we all did our media stuff and then we all jumped on the same bus. And when we came back to the village, everyone was kind of Aussie building, you know, we're very lucky. Everyone's kind of out the front clapping us and cheering for us. And it's to be a part of that. It's so, so special. Um, And everyone there. and, And that's kind of like what I said, I think when you're at the Olympics, there's almost, you held, you hold your head a little bit higher when you're an Aussie because you have such pride behind the team, behind how your building looks, the fact that we have a barista. Like <laughs> there's just so many, I think, special things for us. And we're like, you know, these little green and gold little jelly beans walking around. And it's um it's a huge honor to be a part of it. And so then to I guess have that that sense of people um, be people being happy for you as well and, and people being a part of that. It's, yeah, it's incredibly special for sure. I, I, I think I need to learn more about this barista. Luke, Luke told us that there was basically a designated AOC person whose job it was to get the beers. So, like, there's obviously somebody there too who's uh, on, on, on the coffees. Like, I feel like I need to start applying for jobs in the AOC because it's not just, uh, you know, athletes. There's, there's some other roles going. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the beer scene because, like, 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 yeah, they gave us a few, which was good. Um, obviously you want to be able to celebrate, um, as best we could. And, and within doing that, you want to be respectful of everyone else who's still competing and still on the team. I am still over so surprised just by how soundproof those rooms are. Like (laughs) you would think, and like, obviously there was still times when I think we were lucky in the fact that rowers were all very close together. So if, one room was being noisy hopefully like there was probably the people next door they weren't sleeping but I can remember you know you'd walk in and it would it'd be so loud in this room but then you'd you know you'd walk out close the door and you could pretty much hear nothing and you just like you know for for a building this and it's the Japanese like of course they're going to do it well but I was like wow this is thank goodness obviously if if the walls hadn't been soundproof we would have been a lot quieter but um yeah, no, very lucky with the barista. I don't drink coffee, but I'm very happy. Obviously, a lot of my friends drink coffee, so I was stoked for them. But, yeah, they call it BK Cafe, which obviously Boxing Kangaroo Cafe. And nice. it's a – I think it was – it wasn't actually an AOC person. It was a person they bought in. Um, he lives – he's an Aussie, but he lived in Japan. So they brought him into the village and he was our, was our wow. barista. But obviously, like, you know, there was a massive line for it and – and could that, and was it just was only commodity. for Aussie athletes, or could you get other athletes yeah, who were hearing only, that you no, had this great only, coffee? <laughs> only Aussie athletes because it was free. 
Right. Um, You'll so charge the Kiwis. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it would have been interesting. Obviously, then it goes against your COVID safe rules. Yeah. Um, I did say to one of my GB friends, I was like, look, you want a keep cup? I could pretend that I'm getting a coffee and I could get it for you. Like, do you want one? Because I could do it. And then I'd like socially distance, like leave it on the ground, like two <laughs> meters away from you. And then you could walk up and pick it up. Like, um, but wow. yeah, no, nah, we're definitely very, very lucky. Now I've got to ask a question. Obviously, Men's Cox is for synonymous with the words awesome, foursome in the history of mm-hmm. Australia. You got the gold first that day. Does that <laughs> automatically make the women's coxes for the, the now the new awesome foursome? So the way we're doing it, it has been a discussion. And I think so the way that we're, I guess, marketing ourselves to a certain point is um, together as a team. Um, so it was, I guess, decided was like, do we go off on our own? Um, but then obviously the boys were like, oh, well, in this day and age, we really do need the girls, um, obviously, <laughs> which is great. Woohoo, go equality. Yeah, um, they sound so we excited about like, that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were good. No, they were really good. They're like, and look, I was complete. I threw it straight back to them and I was like, yeah, we need the awesome foursome. So I guess it was this like settle of, we'll use each other and obviously we get along with the guys really, really well. Um, so we're calling ourselves the awesome foursomes uh, with an ah, S. Pluralize. Um, like so it. that's, so that's the plan. Um, we'll see how it goes. Like, I think, you know, ideally it's like, you know, you've got Goulburn Valley um, fruit. Is I was going to ask so that. Well. Does that come back? Mm. Do you get to sing the peaches, mango peaches songs? Well, look, I don't know who's going to take over Tonks's line. Um, but I think it's hard because I think also back then, obviously, I don't know if they were better well known or it was like Golden Valley Fruits now turned into SPC. Right. Um, and I think obviously it's not as big a company and obviously because of, I don't know, globalization. Is that right? Business management? Um, oh, sure. No, that's not right. <laughs> don't don't ask me about anything around that. Well, I'm a podcast host, Lucy. Um, I'm not the right person to ask I that. Know. <laughs> Anyways, to do with how the world is changing and obviously online and everything's big companies are so much bigger. I think it's, you know, maybe we could do like an Instagram ad or something like that, but I think it'd be a fast stretch to actually get a TV ad in prime time slot. But it would be so cool. I think it's it's so nostalgic. We have contacted them. Um, We're waiting to hear back, but I think COVID's really put a, a spanner in the works with that stuff. So it would be cool. And I don't actually know because of the style just behind it. I don't actually know how much they'd have to pay us, but um, we'll see how we go. <laughs> I love that, how much they'd have to pay us. That, that's well, that, like, the big not, kicker. Look, not saying that people shouldn't pay us to do that stuff, but we are rollers. Like we know yeah. we know that we only have a finite um, amount of time where we are wanted. So, Well, I've got to imagine. There. I can't imagine that they didn't sell a couple of extra million cans of fruit back in the day due to those ads. So I think they, if anything, well, they owe rowing more than you owe them. hundred percent. Like I was talking to the manager we've actually got, he was the guy who got that deal for the original awesome foursome. And he was saying, he was like, look, I don't actually think that the original payment for it was that much, but the royalties that came through, because I think it just kept being played for years and years after. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll see how we go. It would be bloody good to do. Like, yeah. I think it would be yeah. epic. And is this, like, every, it's the day and age of reboots and kind of let's bring things back. Like, I think you just get, think, yeah, get you all on TV, people, get the original four, kind of do it all together. Well, that's it. Get all 12 of us. It would just yeah. be, oh, it'd be so much fun. But we'll see. 
We'll see. We all remember those ads. Like it's it's kind of weird isn't Everyone it? how you remember it. ads yeah. and you remember those ones. Yeah. Like, yeah, wow. You, you I, I guarantee you more people, if they met James Tompkins, be like, hey, you're the guy from the fruit ads. More so than the fact you've got a couple Olympic of Olympic gold, gold right? Olympic you know? gold medals, yeah, for sure. For it's sure. interesting. Now, th- we're going to wrap this up with a, a series of fun sort of get-to-know-you questions, but just a couple of quick things. Obviously, it's a question you're probably mm-hmm. hating getting asked right now, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you it. Uh, <laughs> Paris 2024, goals three years away now, kind of what's sort yeah. of the, the outlook right now for, for the next Olympics? Well, look, the fire is still there for sure. Um, being up in Penrith, it is – I think doing anything, what we do at such a high level, it is a really, really intense environment. And I've always said when I can sit back and watch my, I guess, Australia on the TV and the rowing team on the TV and know that I couldn't make that boat go faster. For me, it's about being at peace with that. Um, Right now, I don't really know whether I can make a boat go faster or not. And I guess it's about taking that time to reflect and figure out if I can. And um, if I go back, it is, yeah, it's going back for the right reasons. And it's been out to, I guess, look back and say, obviously the goal would definitely to be to win another gold medal, but I don't want to go back. And if we don't do that and have massive regrets, it's about being able to turn it, like come back to the sport and still enjoy it and still love it. Even if we don't get that end result for sure. Well, as always, I'd just like to add 11 years to Brisbane. You'll be, what, like 41, 40? I, I, like, you know. <laughs> I think the boyfriend the boyfriend then would no longer be the boyfriend. I don't think it's because we're married. I think it's because he would have said, F you, Luce. See you later. <laughs> wow. Jeez. The, the love is strong no, there for, her, for his no, Olympic he gold medalist girlfriend. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. It's, it's, and it's, it's about, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a way. He's like, Luce, I want to live with you. I want to spend time with you. Like, it's not in a way of, like, get over it. It's well, more well in a way saved, of, like, Lucy. I, well just, I just want to be with you. <laughs> good save. Good it's save. True. I like that. So, now, anyways. As I said, we, we, we close up with a series of fun questions, but I kind of want to do a two-parter here because mm-hmm. I did in the research here, you know, read some articles, watch some YouTube videos, and I did happen to see the little Rowing Australia Mastermind video on your fandom of a certain film, Mean Girls, which you absolutely yep. dominated on. Can I just say, I think you got 10 out of 10. Thank or you. Whatever it yes, was. I did. So I, I, I think would, I did, I need, yeah. I need to find some more questions. So I found some more here. I'm going to see if I'm going to oh, test wow. your knowledge on, on Mean Girls. Oh, God. That's I would like to say that I'm such a so fan long. that I created these, but uh, no, not quite. <laughs> so let's try a couple of these. Uh, can you tell me what's okay. the opening line of the movie Mean Girls? I can give you four options oh. here, or if you know it off the top of your head, you can just give it to me straight away. Can you give me four options? I haven't watched okay. it so long. All right. So the options are, I guess it's natural for parents to cry on their kids' first day of school. I know what you're thinking. Homeschooled kids are freaks. This is your lunch. Okay. Or my family's totally normal. Oh, no. Is it A? It is C. It is this is your lunch. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's like in the background. It's not her talking. It's like, yeah. Damn it. Okay. Not looking good. Let's try this one. When Katie first enters her new school, what is on fire in the front lawn? A laptop, a textbook, homework, or a backpack? Oh, my God. I have no idea. Um, a backpack? Let's go for that one. It was a textbook. Damn it. Wow. 
Jeez. This is All not right, we'll fun go, to listen we'll, to. We'll go one more. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, okay, I'm kind of glad that I've, I've broken the streak of wins here, so I'll take that as a win. Uh, <laughs> what happened to Ms. Norbury over the summer? She dyed her hair. She bought a new car. She got promoted. She got divorced. She got divorced. She got divorced is correct. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. There you go. You got one out of three. Yay. So. One out of three. Oh, that's so yeah. upsetting. Well, you know, I, I th- again, you won an Olympic. Yeah, I'm going like to have to go watch it tonight just to yeah. redeem myself. I don't <laughs> think I've watched excuse. it in about three or four years. Because it's it's one of those movies that has not aged well mm. ethically. Yes, no. It is definitely one of those ones for sure. Like, um, it's you- hilarious. It's hilarious, but it has not. Where then I look at Mean Girls, and Mean Girls is a masterpiece because, God, that movie has aged well. Yeah. Tina, Tina Fey, anything she touches turns to gold. So, oh, hilarious, hilarious. Absolutely. Do you actually think Tina Fey would go on a boat if you had an opportunity to say, "Hey, Tina, come g- give us a go. Have a have a crack in the boat." Yeah, look her and oh, what's her? It's the mum in Mean Girls. What's her name? It's usually a partner. Oh, Amy, um, um, Pol- Amy, Polner Amy Poller. Yeah. yeah, yeah, hilarious. Parks and Rec, genius, hilarious, yep. so funny. That'd be good. That'd be fun to just get out there and just kind of try it out, right? Like you wouldn't be even be rowing with them. You'd be talking to no. them basically the whole time. No, pretty much. I'd be like, guys, sit here. Now I'm just going to ask you heaps of questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of questions, so our real final set of questions is a series of mm-hmm. questions that Team Canada put to their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang, just sort of a get-to-know-you element. There is a drawing element if you want to do some extra homework, Lucy. Of course, you don't have to. Stick figures are acceptable. We always put it out Fabulous. there. We've had one athlete, Ash Werner, our bobsledder. She did them. A lot of fun. You can check them out in our social media. So it's always optional there, Lucy, if you want to do it. But and as we sort of we've talked before, unfortunately to our rowing guests, they did not quiz a rower. So I've gone for a paddler. We've gone for Cam Smedley again, okay. a canoeist. So it's the closest I right. can get. So first question: You're allowed to answer your own as well. What is your favorite all-time Olympic moment? Ah. <sighs> Oh God! Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess my own. <laughs> yeah, that's there's so many. Answer. I feel like even from the Shire, you're so lucky. You've got like Kathy Freeman. Then for me, it's like, like obviously the awesome foursomes, and then there's oh, like Peter Anthony and Stephen Hawkins. Like when they were lightweights, and they like there's just so many. I think being an Aussie, you just yeah spoiled for choice. Yeah, didn't mention Kim sure. there, Lucy. I hope she's well. Like, and Kim, you know, obviously, of course, well, obviously, but you yeah. know, every I just, like, I just wanted I mean. to put you on there's the so spot. Many. Kim, former guest of ours. I'm sure she listens still to this day. So, you know, she's a big off the podium. Come on. Come on. What are you talking about? Um, If you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Please say nil. That'd be good. Oh, I can't even. That would just be hilarious. Like maybe nil because that would just be so funny. Yeah. I would like love a home Olympics. Like I think to be in Melbourne again would be sweet. I would hope that like rowing would be closer than Ballarat though. Um, I think we're so lucky, like any real city that does it, like Tokyo is so good. Obviously Rio had its, its moments, but I think Paris is going to be amazing. I think LA is going to be incredible. Like, yeah, it's just, it's one of those massive things that I think can bring a city to life for sure. Here's a, here's a question that put you on the spot. And this is more of a, to see if you know, cause I'd actually don't know the answer. Where was rowing held at the Melbourne Olympics in 1956? Um, in Ballarat. It was held in Ballarat. Okay. The, yeah. In Ballarat on the lake. Right. Okay. I've seen the I've seen yeah. the the Penrith facility. I've I've been there and being Tasmanian, Lake well, Barrington, yeah. of course. You know we're we're proud of Lake Barrington here. So. Well, yeah, Lake Barrington was like Tassie. Tassie would be beautiful. 
Um, I do think I do think a goal like Brisbane is going to be really really cool because I think up there it's like always sunny. The weather's always great. Um, I think that'll be really cool. Really anywhere in Australia, I think you went to any major city in Australia. I think they could definitely put on a good show. The thing I love about Brisbane is the fact that technically Australia will host our first ever Winter Olympics. Uh, so just, just <laughs> putting it out there, if they say Winter Olympics are not possible in Australia, well, they're being held in winter in 2032. So there you go. Um, the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was? I don't know weirdest instruction, but I can remember was when I first kind of got up to the centre and I was in a single skull. And we do these things which are called roll-ups, which is where you're sitting at the finish and you tap down, you keep your blades off the water and then you get out to the catch and you put them in. And your whole idea is to balance the boat when it's not moving, which is really, really tricky, especially when you're not a single sculler. <laughs> and I did this roll-up and I absolutely nailed it. And I got to the catch and I was like, F yeah, loose. And then the coach, John Keogh, over the megaphone just goes, self-praise is no praise. And then just put that <laughs> Shut down. Wow. Uh, that's like, that is stuck with me for a long time. <laughs> so um, yeah. Self-praise is no praise. There's a t-shirt. There's a t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> put it on there. Um, the first picture, if you want to draw a picture of yourself and Cam's mm-hmm. drawn a lovely picture of him in a, a boat. It kind of looks like he's being attacked by a shark or something. So I don't know how the, uh, Fabulous. the canoeing waters are there in Canada. Probably not that safe. Apparently. Um, your favorite <laughs> workout is. Um, Oh, like just obviously rowing on the water, probably like race pace pieces. Like I just love doing like that's what I, I guess for me, it's my bread and butter is what I really enjoy. So some of them are like race pace stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, probably definitely rowing. But having said that, I think something that I definitely learned when I started rowing is I used to hate going to netball practice, but with rowing, I don't really hate anything. Don't love bike riding, but at the same time, if once I get on and start doing it, I quite enjoy it. So but yeah, it'd have to be rowing for sure. Can you show off if you go down to the local gym, get on the rowing machine and just try and get one of those gym bros on there and go, okay, come on, give me a race, come on. Not a bad idea. Like I do go to CV gym sometimes and I'm like, oh, this is – and then I like would get on it and I'll row and then I'll get off and someone else would come on it and go back like and do – like I would say if you were looking at me, wouldn't you be like, oh, she knows what she's doing. Maybe I could ask her for tips, but then people get on and it's like they're kind of showing off. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like you're going to – throw your back out like <laughs> they turn the fan right up to 10 and they like power it for like 30 seconds and then they have to stop because they're so stuffed and i'm like no <laughs> anyway what is a good setting for the fan like as an olympic role what do you put the fan on so the girls will it will be around four five and the guys i think it's around depending on the erg machine like there's actually it's called a drag factor and you can actually go into the settings and you set it so when you go into it, it's like 110 for girls and it's 130 for boys and 100 for lightweights, um, okay. lightweight girls. But, yeah, the girls, it's like around about four or five and then I think the guys, it's like five, six, seven kind of thing, right. around about there. I have it at about one. Just Yeah, which is fine. Want. That's great. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's not my favourite, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Oh, I don't know. Like, honestly, if it was just, like, a really fancy lunch, I'd probably just go with my boyfriend because we never get to see each other. I don't know. That's oh, kind of lame. But, like, nice just a really answer. nice lunch and, like, we could get, like, day drunk, which is always great. Does <laughs> I sound like an alcoholic in this? I know. Podcast. That's about number five for the alcohol <laughs> references today. 
Lucy, I um, oh, yeah. Oh no, Jesus! As you, the, the, we're being pretty much day drunk. Day drunk is a great thing because you go to bed at eight o'clock and you wake up feeling fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Probably tips yeah, on an Olympic like gold me. medalist. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Secret to my success that, by Lucy. Stephan. Like I get to do it once every pretty much five years. So yeah. Um, yeah, and then I don't know. Like I have like a big thing for David Bowie, John Bon Jovi. Like they're kind of my two. Like, That's a I guess good celebrity. Lunch. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. Like David, I just, yeah. Like, Was that the celebrity like, yeah, death like, that just like really affected you? Like, like, cause we all kind of have yeah, one, don't we? Yeah, around a bit. Yeah. I think yeah. like for me, it was like, I didn't, I knew he was good. And I definitely, it's, it's one of those things. Cause like when they die, their record sales go up. It's so, like, I definitely respected him, loved him a lot before he died. And then after he died, I was like, oh my God, he's gone. And like, mm that's when I really sat down and really started to realize how many amazing songs he had. And, and the um, Labyrinth. Is that not yeah. one of the most amazing think, movies ever? Yeah. yeah. And I think also a big thing for my, I guess, celebrity crush on him is he just loved music and it's all he ever wanted to do with his life. And he just solely put himself into that and wanted to become famous in his music way. And I think I have a lot of respect for that. It's similar for me, I guess, in rowing. Like I, he was passionate about his music and he took it as far as he could. And I feel like that's, that's kind of where I um, connect with that um, in terms of the rowing sense, like John Bon Jovi as well is very similar to that. Like I have a lot of respect for celebrities that it's, it's always hard when you see people, you're like, Oh, I just fell into it and it was really fun. And I'm like, where my definite like celebrity kind of gratitude or admire, admiration. What's it? What is it? Admiration. Admiration. Admiration is um those ones that are they're passionate, they've worked hard, and that's how they've got there for sure. And I think he's David Bowie, one of the very few people who I think refused a knighthood. He was offered a knighthood and was like, Why do I need to be knighted? What have I achieved? And yeah. like, it was kind of like a yeah, like one of those sort of, you know, who refuses a knighthood? I yeah. Mean, I, I, know? I find him and oh yeah, also he's just a weird bugger, which I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone goes on about Harry Styles now. They're like, bring back Manly Men. And it's like, well, what about David Bowie? Like, yes. all these Ziggy people, like, this, is, this isn't, this isn't, yeah. I'm like, he wore a dress on his album cover. I was like, yeah. Harry Styles is not the first, like, full credit Harry Styles. Like, he's bloody, like, he's bloody hot. Great. Yeah. But I think this has been happening for years and years and years. And I always find it very funny. I'm like, you people very quickly forget history. Yeah. Very, very quickly. It's very true. Don't get me started on the debate about Taylor Swift being groundbreaking when Madonna did it about 30 years before, but we forget <laughs> about history, don't we? So uh, We do, we do. Anyway, um, e- your favourite sandwich is? Oh, like I love a good like chicken schnitzel. Or, like, mm. I think a salami sandwich is also overrated. Overrated? Um, uh, underrated, sorry. Oh, underrated. I was say. Underrated. Like I love like a good salami panini with some like bit of pesto or something on it. Yeah. Oh. I want to say I love all sandwiches. Good answer. Sandwiches is it about the bread too? Do you, sandwich- a, do you have a special Actually, type of bread? you know what my favourite sandwich is? No. no my favourite type me. of sandwich is a sandwich that you did not make yourself. When someone else makes you a sandwich, it is infinitely like 100 times better. 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. There you go. And does your boyfriend make a good sandwich? Is that kind of where the love comes from? Is that It's all about sandwich making. <laughs> makes me sandwich he like cooks me dinner a lot and he is very good like that but i don't know if he really ever made me a sanger oh. he makes a good burger and like a okay. good wrap which is essentially a sandwich but it is yeah. yeah he's more of a he's more of a wrap guy 
Okay, makes up for it there. All right, that, that that's yeah. a good answer. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I think flying would be really, really, really cool. Teleportation, obviously, being long distance with my boyfriend, teleportation would be awesome. And just family. Like, I've spent a lot of my life being away from my family and my loved ones, given I went to boarding school at a young age. Like, teleportation would be sick. I just, I, I need to read this answer out here from, from Cameron. His answer to this question is to kill a yak from 100 yards with mind bullets. I, I don't even know what that is. Um, it's a Canadian like, thing. It's your Canadian, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, like you're Canadian, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, I need so to ask like, Colin about that a, next time yeah, on the like, show. I don't know, to kill a kangaroo with, you, with <laughs> your mind. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we need to get Cameron on the show just to quiz him about that for an hour, basically. Back <laughs> of the Olympic career. Um, the best candy in the world is? Oh, I love Zappos. Oh, yes. I love anything sour. I love a Zappo. Nice, nice. Uh, as a kid, your favourite sports team was? God, I wasn't like a huge sporty kid. Like I could probably say Adelaide Crows. Um, mainly, it's a bit of a funny story. I didn't really, like I said, didn't really have a sports team when I was growing up. I was the first. I'm the oldest. It was a girl. Parents were like, oh, at least wouldn't care about footy. Went to get on the school bus um, when I was like five or six and the bus driver was actually it would have been when I was prep. So, yeah, five. And bus driver's like, what footy team do you go for? I was like, oh, I don't have one. He's like, go for the Crows. You know that on the bus. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then in hindsight, the last time the Crows won the premiership was 96, 97, which was when I started school. Hey, so. It worked. <laughs> you took it on board. And but I'm definitely, I don't know, I'm, a, I'm at a little point now where I'm kind of questioning it, obviously, with some of the stuff that's come out of the club recently. So yep. I'm thinking, and I'm a huge, I'm an underdog fan. So it's like when the doggies got up, underdog, when Richmond came through, underdog. Um, obviously now with Melbourne, I'm kind yep. of on that bandwagon. I'm like, it's too late to jump on Melbourne. So I'm get thinking. On the, get on I, the suns, Lucy. They will oh, get somewhere nah. eventually. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I don't like what's I don't like. What's his name? Toby Green. All right. Yep. Is he Suns? No, no, he's he's no. a giant. So he's giant. So okay, yeah, no, Suns, I don't like you're him, okay yeah. with the Suns. No one knows oh, any yeah, of their Suns. players. But Suns, but Suns, didn't they make grand final recently? Or they made a- no, the Giants against Suns. Suns have basically been around for ten years and have not finished any higher than like fourteenth. So you know they're, they're, okay, they're at the very one. bottom. Well, yeah. I actually, I was thinking. I know they've won like a lot, a lot of premierships back in the day before the salary cap came in. But I'm actually thinking um, Carlton. Oh, see that? That's, I don't know if you can see that behind me loosely. Where am I pointing there? There's a you can sort of see an emblem. So they're my yeah. team. So jump on board. There you go. That works yeah, for me. I was thinking because I feel idea. like you know they've been in rebuilding years for about twenty years. So <laughs> T- T- maybe 26, one to be day precise. they'll get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're counting. Um, yeah. So maybe so, I'll jump on them. Do it because I remember growing up like it was the opposite. Like as a kid, it's like ah, oh, Carlton they yeah. win everything. Now it's just like we can't even buy anything. We can't keep a coach for longer than two years. So it's just you know, yeah, good good yeah. idea. I like that. That's smart. Um, your favorite sports movie is? I used to love Remember the Titans. It was good probably movie. one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah, Remember the Titans, great movie. Um, obviously, oh, what's it called? Bobsled movie. Cool Runnings. Completely blanked. Yeah, Cool Runnings, great movie. Um, like there's just so many, like Coach Carter. I love their underdog. Like realistically, any underdog movie, It's I just like the feels. Good answer, good answer. The final question, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, 
I don't know. I'm quite happy where I am. I really love Australia. And I think we're so lucky in this country and the fact that we literally have everything. We have snow. Obviously, it's not the best snow in the world, but we have snow. We have amazing beaches. We have rainforest. We have desert. Like, I think Australia is just probably one of the coolest countries in that sense that we literally have everything. And, you know, as a lot of people like, I just want to go to Europe. I just want to, you know, go overseas. And obviously, there's so many countries that I do want to go overseas, but I do just love being an Aussie for sure. Great answer. Correct answer is somebody who's officially been on an Australian stamp. I think that's uh, <laughs> the, the correct answer. Uh, they might have removed your stamp from uh, uh, syndication, essentially, if you had have answered anywhere else. Lucy, before we let you go, if people want to kind of stay up to date with what you're up to, your journey, anything along those lines, social media, anything that people can sort of check you out on? Um, yeah, I've got my Insta, which is Lucy, L-O-O-S-C-Y. Obviously, because a lot of no, I got no good good work, good work. (laughs) Lucy (laughs) underscore Stefan S T P H A N. I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, But that's pretty much (laughs) the only only thing I'm on. I was on Twitter for a while, but never really got into it. No Um, TikTok yet. Not not quite on that. No, no TikTok. No TikTok. I'm a bit. I feel like I'm a bit too old. (laughs) But I have like thought if I want to like do a small business thing, I'm definitely going to have to get on the TikTok. So. I say bring back MySpace. I'm waiting for our first athlete to be like, yeah, I'm on MySpace. You can check out no. my Tom's my top friend. I was thinking, uh, I saw a meme the other day. I saw a meme the other day. It was like, can you imagine if MySpace existed now? Like the social anxiety you would have having mm. to get your top eight friends. Like, That God, was the worst. Do you remember the days when you go to school the next day and you realise, like, why am I not in your top eight anymore? Why am I, uh, not, why am I number four? See, I, was I was number lucky. two yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> see, I was lucky in nil because you only really had like, you know, there was only a, a certain amount of, well, like you didn't have like a heap, a heap of friends. Like it was kind of everyone was everyone and you kind of, yeah, nah, it's horrible, horrible. Yeah. But I did love it. Like you'd open it up. Like someone, I saw another meme where someone's like, we need to get it. So when you open up someone's Instagram page, a song plays in the yes. background. Yes. And I was like, you've officially gone to MySpace yeah. because that's what MySpace did. Which- and I had like all my little emo, emo songs, like Escape the Fate. 30 oh. Seconds to Mars, like all God. the emo songs. Wow. And you always have that one song. And to this day, there are songs that I hear that remind me of someone because that was always their MySpace song. Yeah. Like you, you, there yeah. it was. Like, boom. Like, wow. Yeah, make it happen, yeah. Facebook, if you're listening. <laughs> I know Mark Zuckerberg's a huge listener to the show. Uh, Lucy, <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, seriously, so much fun going over everything through your, your career and through the Olympics. And I, I'm saying this now. We look forward to seeing you get back-to-back gold in Paris in only three oh. years' time. Thank you. We'll see. Fingers crossed. And a massive, massive thanks to Lucy for her time. So much fun chatting with her there. And, yeah, our first sweep from rowing as well. Interesting. We've only had the scholars on before. So uh, always good to get somebody on the show from, uh, I guess, an aspect of a sport that we've never talked to before. And we'll see her in Paris. Come on. We, we know, Lucy. We know it's going to happen. So uh, big thanks again for your time on the show today. Moving forward, we've got some great interviews still to come here and off the podium as always. And if you want to keep up to date with what we've got coming your way, simply follow us on social media and hit us the subscribe button on one of the podcast channels, off the podium on all of those. We're sadly not on MySpace. Maybe we are the ones that need to bring that back, so uh, watch this space. And, of course, we'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you've got any feedback for us or want to have any requests for people that you want us to hunt down and maybe get on the show, we'd love to hear those ideas along the way. Big thanks again to Lucy for her time. Thanks to you for listening to the show. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And, as always, go left. Turn your up and